Well, good morning, everybody. Wasn't it great to have, you know, even when David Stroh's out of town, have Donnie and that praise team leading us on Sunday mornings, don't even skip a beat. And how about that Gavin over here singing for the first time on Sunday morning? <laughs> Rashawn, I know. I know he didn't get that from you. <laughs> Ain't no way. <laughs> well, this morning I'm going to talk to you about something that's really, it's been on my heart for a while. And, uh, you know, and, and because I'm preaching on Independence Day, it gave an opportunity to really uh, to talk about this. You know, first of all, I, I want you to know, first and foremost, I am and see myself as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, first and foremost. But I also want to say I love this country. I think, in my mind, that the United States of America is the greatest country that has ever been on this earth. Amen. Never. Yeah. Never have we seen such freedom and liberty and really the privilege of the pursuit of happiness that we have seen in this country. But I want you to know, we are under attack. We, and I'm not talking from outside enemies. I'm talking about inside. There is a battle that is being fought. And we need to be part of that battle. We've, we're not a perfect country, right? We've had our issues and we've overcome many of them many of them through very difficult battles. Max Lucado, just a wonderful author and pastor, he describes one of the decisive battles in our history. And I just want to read it to you because he, he just phrases it so well. He writes, It took place on a bright, sunny Sunday afternoon. The thought of having a picnic seemed to capture the imagination of not only families, but the entire town of Washington, D.C. Hundreds of people packed their picnic baskets, loaded their families into their carts and buggies, and took off for the countryside. What was so unusual about this Sunday afternoon drive was where everyone intended to unpack their lunch. If you can believe it, the picnic was planned near a battlefield. The date was July 21st, 1861. People from Washington rode their horses and buggies to Manassas to watch their Union soldiers bring an end to what they considered to be a short rebellion. They actually unfolded their blankets, ate their chicken sandwiches, and prepared to cheer from a distance. One soldier described them as a throng of sightseers. They came in all manner of ways, some in stylish carriages, and still others in buggies, on horseback, and even on foot. It was Sunday, and everybody seemed to have taken a general holiday. A reporter from the London Times was there, and he wrote, the spectators were all excited, and a lady with an opera glass was quite beside herself at the sound of an unusually heavy discharge of the cannon. She said, oh, my, is that not splendid? <laughs> It was not long before reality rushed in. With the sound of combat, the sight of blood, the screams of wounded soldiers, people soon realized that this was no picnic. 
Fathers grabbed up their children. Husbands called for their wives. They jumped into their wagons and onto their horses. One reporter noting that they were caught in a stampede of retreating Union soldiers. In fact, one spectator, a congressman from New York, was caught by Confederate soldiers and kept prisoner for nearly six months. And that was the last time onlookers took picnic baskets to a battlefield. Or was it really? I just wonder, in the battle that we are facing in our country, is the church taking a picnic? When we see the lives, the families that are being hurt, some destroyed by lies, by secular reasoning, and all that we can say sometimes is, could you please pass a drumstick? It's time for us It's past time for us, the church of Jesus Christ, to stand firm in this battle. As much as I love our country, can you not see it now it's sliding into a moral cesspool? The depravity that is happening right now because people are believing lies. We are in a moral decline, and there's not a enough space for me to even begin to list the number of things that we see as evidence of that moral decline. We see school shootings more than I can ever remember, and not just school, everywhere. Speaker Nancy Pelosi appeared on RuPaul's drag race and remarking, this is what America is all about. Drag queen story hours at some elementary schools and other actions related to the promotion of the acronym known as LGBTQ+. There was just recently, you may have seen it in the news, a gay pride march in New York. And what was one of their shouts as they were marching? We're coming for your children. That's what they were shouting. Now, some would say later it was just a joke. But can I say that's not funny? It is not funny to be coming after our children, yet we see it happening. I thank God that we have a Christian school here because out there in some places, it is absolutely awful. The state of Oregon governor there, Kate Brown, signed a menstrual cycle dignity bill that requires thousands of new tampon dispensers to be placed in boys' bathrooms. In some schools, they have allowed boys into the girls' locker room. I'm not making this stuff up (laughs) because they feel like a girl that day. A Washington, D.C. elementary school gave pre-K through third grade children a lesson on anti-racism. And listen to this. They asked them to identify racist members of their family. We still don't know the powerful men who took advantage of Epstein's island. Jeffrey Epstein, who was convicted of child prostitution, we don't know. Why don't we know? There's a moral rot in our nation, and I want you to know there is nothing that can save this country except for the church of Jesus Christ. 
And people say, we need to get woke. We do need to wake up. <laughs> Not their woke. Jesus is woke where he says, stay awake. Be alert. The fact is, is that we have uh, gone past the crossroads. Billy Graham said this. He said, America's not at a crossroads. They have traveled down the wrong road and needed to come back to the crossroads so they can take the right road. Jim Nelson, he's a PhD. He wrote the book, When Nations Die. He compared our country to other nations that have, that have died, that have gone by the wayside. And he said, as, I've, as I have looked back across the ruins and landmarks of antiquity, I've been stunned by the parallels between those societies and our own. Three important trends demonstrate moral decay, moral decay that will destroy a nation. They are the rise in immorality. Have we seen that? The decay of religious belief. Have we seen that? Yeah. And the devaluing of human life. We have seen all those things. But let me tell you, that's how nations die. But that's not how this nation was born. In fact, we celebrate today, right, the signing of the Declaration of independence. Let me just read a few words from there. It says, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bonds which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What we see here, the basis of law for the United States the basis for it is the law of nature and of nature's God. These laws are created for all men, all men, and come to us from God as our creator. But how far, how far we have strayed from these principles upon which this nation was born. It is in our founding documents. I believe we're in a battle for the life of this country. You may think I'm over-exaggerating, but I'm telling you, I don't think so. And this morning, I want to show you how we fight this battle. The first thing you've got to understand is that this real, that this real battle that we face is a spiritual battle. And we should all be actively fighting this battle. And I want you to understand, there's, there's things we do politically that's important that we do. Everyone should vote. <laughs> Right? We do that. You should write your congressman and express your opinion and tell them what you want. Uh, we should assemble as groups and share our beliefs with the government to redress grievances. But I don't think that's going to solve this country's problems. Say, so really, why not? Because I've been around long enough. And I've seen Republicans gain power. I've seen Democrats gain power. And nothing 
Nothing. Neither one of them has stopped the moral decline of this country. And I am telling you, Republicans and Democrats will not save this country. It is only the church of Jesus Christ. And that's why we must get involved in the battle. We must all be fighting that, this battle. This is the key battle. The scriptures say that throughout and I'm, I'm going to tell you this morning, <laughs> I probably got about five messages in here. So I'm going to go real fast because I got it down to one. But listen, I want you to understand the scripture is replete with encouragements, commandments to fight this battle. It says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then when I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one purpose, I mean one spirit and one purpose, get this, fighting together for the faith, calling us to fight for the faith, which is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what saves people. That's what transforms lives, communities, countries. 1 Timothy 6, 12, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, fight the good fight for the true faith. Telling him, you've got to fight. We are in a battle, Timothy. You can't sit back. You can't unroll the picnic blanket any further. You have got to get in this fight. In Jude, Jude says this, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. Paul talking about his, his own battle his own fighting he says in the same way he goes i run straight for the place at the end of the race in other words i run for the finish line man i'm not running this way or that way i'm running for the finish line i am focused on what's happening he says i fight to win i do not beat the air the problem is the church sometimes is just fighting to be left alone man we got to get out there we got to get on the front lines. We got to get into battle. The souls of men and women and boys and girls hang in the balance. Our country hangs in the balance. And if we sit back, it will go the way of its natural inclination, which is right into the moral septic tank. We used to sing a song when I was a kid. No, we sang it to my kids, probably when I was a kid too. But anyway, we sang this song, and it went like this. Uh, I may never, tell me if you recall. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never zoom more the enemy. But <laughs> Very good, yeah. Y'all did great. We need to go back and apologize to our kids. Absolutely. There is, you know, the problem with this song? It's like, what are you doing then? You know, it's like, I may never do this, I may never do that, I may never do this, I may never do that, but hey, I'm in the Lord's army. <laughs> it's not enough to be in the Lord's army. You need to be in the battle, fighting this battle. You need to be a loyal, faithful soldier of Jesus Christ. Too many spectators is the problem, not enough warriors. And we got to determine what we're going to be, spectators or warriors. So how do we fight? How do we fight and how do we fight well? That's what I want to share with you this morning. There are five battlefield requirements that you must know if you're going to fight this battle well. 
And the first one is so obvious, but you must know your commander and follow him. You've got to know who the boss is, right? And the first thing to acknowledge is that you're not the boss. <laughs> so you got to know who is the boss. And so Jesus kind of asked this question to the disciples. They were talking. He says, who do people say that I am? And they give all their answers. And then he, Jesus asked the most important question that he asks of anybody, and it was this, who do you say that I am? See, that's the key question. Well, then Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Did you catch that? He says, you're the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who was promised to come. You're now here. You're the son of the living God. And then Jesus replies, you are blessed, Simon of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock, that rock that he's talking about there is his confession, his confession of Jesus as Messiah and as the Son of God. He says, upon this rock, this confession, I will build my church. And get this, all the powers of hell will not conquer it. You see, when we live as if Jesus is the Son of God, he is the Messiah, he is our Savior, he is our Lord, man, not even hell can stop us. But the problem is, yeah, thank you. The problem is we live like my comfort or my bank account or whatever is the most important thing. And we just want to avoid any type of conflict, any type of uncomfortableness, any type of discomfort. But if you're going to be in the battle, I want you to know it's going to get uncomfortable. But what hangs in the balance? Well, the souls of men and women, boys and girls. The very life of our country, I believe, hangs in the balance. So we got to know who, who our commander is and follow him. Jesus, when he appeared to his disciples, he says this to him After he resurrected, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority in heaven and on earth. Is there any place where Jesus doesn't have authority? Absolutely not. He has authority everywhere. And one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is going to happen. It would be better to recognize him as commander now and obey him. So know your commander and follow him. The next thing is know your enemy and resist him. Now, we think the enemy is, you know, either the Democrats or the Republicans or uh, you might think Nancy Pelosi or, you know, uh, one of the other representatives. We think they're the enemy, but that's not true. That is not true. Look what Paul writes in Ephesians 6. He says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. That's not our battle. It's not against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the, catch that, unseen world. See, that is the source of power and intrigue and deceit that is happening to flesh and blood human beings. That's where the real battle is against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Our real enemy is in the spiritual world. Our enemy, the devil, he is called the father of lies the accuser of the brethren, the God of this world, the ruler of this world, he is a true enemy. Man, in the first century, second century, third century, Christians turned the world, Rome, upside down, and they weren't even allowed to vote. Didn't vote for one emperor. As far as I know, they didn't leave one protest march. They didn't write one letter to the editor. How in the world could they have such impact on this world? It's because of the power of God and of the commander they follow. In fact, James 4, 7 says this. 
So humble yourselves before God. Now, I just want to say, that means know who your commander is and follow him. (laughs) Humble yourselves before God. Surrender to him, right? Resist the devil, and what will he do? He will flee like a scalded dog away from you. Why? Because you're so powerful? No, because your commander is so powerful. And so you want to serve him. Resist the devil, and he will flee. But you got to know who your real enemy is. Man, your real enemy isn't a political party. Your real enemy isn't a, a person. It is really a spiritual enemy. The third thing, you need to know the mission and pursue it. Look, we just came out of Afghanistan, what, a year ago or so? And that was so disheartening to me. I mean, I, I would bet that almost every soldier could not tell you what the mission was in Afghanistan. And our soldiers suffer when there's not a clear mission that is outlined. And for 20, what, 20 years we were in Afghanistan, I don't know how long, and it's no better. It's the same as when we got there. Where is the clear, delineated mission? It's not there. We saw the same thing in Vietnam. And we see what happens. But Jesus didn't leave us that way. <laughs> he gave us, our commander gave us a clear mission. There is no denying what our mission is. Look at Matthew 28. He says, therefore, go and make disciples. Make disciples. That's the key phrase. That's the key sentence. That is the main verb and the main object of the verb. Make disciples. Everything else in that passage uh, describes or modifies make disciples. So he says, therefore, go Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Know the mission and pursue it. What is the mission? Make disciples. Make disciples. Now, the question you just simply have to ask yourself, am I making disciples? If so, who are they? See, that's how the kingdom advances. It's when I share the gospel with somebody, they get saved, then I make a, help them to be a disciple, an obedient disciple. You know what they do? They lead someone to Christ. They get saved in that person, and it goes on and on and on and on. That's how it happened in the first century. That's how it's going to happen in the 21st century is that we are going to say yes to the mission of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, he didn't just say it once. It's in every gospel in the book of Acts and really explained in the epistles and the rest of the scriptures. Jesus made the mission clear. We won't have an excuse when we get to heaven if we don't pursue that mission. Oh, I didn't really know. Oh, no. We all knew. The question is, are we going to make disciples? The fourth thing I want you to know is to know your weapons and use them. Know your weapons. We have some pretty awesome, powerful weapons. (laughs) But they're not physical ones. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians. It says, we are human. We don't wage wars. Humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. This world, this country's full of those. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So what I want you to see there is that our weapons are not physical weapons. They are spiritual weapons, but they're mighty They're powerful through God to the pulling down of strongholds, strongholds that were built up by the lies and the deceit of Satan himself. They will tear those strongholds down. 
They will take captive every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. But you have to use these weapons. Well, what are these weapons? I'm going to give you a few. Not going to give them all to you, but here's about five of the most powerful weapons that we have. And the first one is love. Oh, that is a powerful weapon. In fact, I love why it says the Amplified Bible. Love never fails, never fades out, becomes obsolete, or comes to an end. Man, we are different because we actually love those people that we disagree with, right? You ever seen those protests and then the, um, the what's it called, anti-protests, the ones who protest against the protesters, and they come together and then nose to nose screaming at one another? Man, as believers in Jesus Christ, we'll never have our fingers stuck in someone's face yelling at them. Why? Because we love them. You say, well, how can we love people who are doing all this crazy junk and stuff that I hate? And it's okay. It's okay to hate that stuff that they're doing. But one thing that we remember and that we realize, but by the grace of God, there go I. Let me tell you something, if it wasn't for the grace of Jesus Christ in your life that in fact saved you, maybe brought you here today, you would be no different from them because our spiritual, sinful nature is like gravity and it always goes towards selfishness and depravity. It's just natural. But when we love, it makes a difference. The next weapon we have is faith. Now get this, 1 John 5, 4. For every child of God defeats this evil world. We achieve this victory, how? Through our faith. Now you all showed faith this morning. You may not realize it. But when you sat down, you were showing faith, weren't you? Yeah, because especially me, I'm like 61 now. And I get to a certain spot, there is a point of no return. If I was to go there, I'd just fall right on my keister right here on the stage. Right? And it's the same, I think, for some of y'all. That that chair doesn't hold you, it's over with, right? But you believed. You believed that chair would hold So you surrendered all. And down you went. Right? Well, it's the same thing with faith. Faith is believing that Jesus don't lie. That Jesus tells the truth. That you're willing to stake your life on that fact. And that's what helps you to march into battle. That's what helps you to storm the beaches <laughs> because you know Jesus doesn't lie. When he said, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age, you know that he's right there with you. In every battle, in every foxhole, he is right there. So faith. And then the gospel. The gospel is such a powerful weapon. Look what it says in Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of this good news or the gospel about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Gentile. So let me just ask you, how powerful is this weapon? How powerful is the gospel? It says right there, it is the power of God. Now, how powerful is God? infinite there's no one more powerful than he is and yet you have with you the gospel which is the very power of god 
Let me tell you something. The fact that the Son of God would leave heaven, come to this earth, lead a sinless life, and then go willingly to the cross to die for our sins, be buried, and rise again the third day, that's powerful. And that will change lives. That will transform lives. And I'm not talking about voting people out of office. I'm talking about transformed hearts and lives, man. That's what the gospel does. Two alcoholic parents, an alcoholic myself, and what happened? The gospel happened. The gospel happened, man. And if we want to transform these lives in this community and this country, we better be, get about sharing the gospel. But the question is, when is the last time you've shared this powerful message, the very power of God. If you haven't shared it in a while, then I have to ask you, do you think you're in the battle? Just ask yourself that question. Then the Word of God is the next weapon. This Word of God is powerful. In fact, when he talks about putting on the armor, he says, uh, Paul talks about putting on the armor in Ephesians 6. He talks about put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit. That's the one offensive weapon of the armor, which is the Word of the God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. This is a powerful weapon. In the wilderness, how did Jesus defeat Satan when Satan was tempting him? The Word of God. Now, I believe Jesus is all-powerful. I believe he could have just thumped Satan, right? But he didn't. He used the same thing that you and I can use, which is the Word of God. But you say, but people don't believe the Bible. So what? What, are they, what is their source of authority? My source of authority is God's Word, this Bible, which has been proven true in so many instances. What do they know? If you took all the wisdom and knowledge from eternity past and present and all the knowledge in the future, eternity future, and all the scientific laws and, you know, verses, uh, universes and multiverse, who knows? All of that, what do they know? Would it even scratch the surface of all the known knowledge of this world or the possible knowledge of this world? No, it wouldn't. They're finite minds. I'm not going to base my life on that. He said, well, some people would say, science. <laughs> science is my source of authority, Right? Science does tell us some real things, but let me tell you, science, you know what science told me in the last couple of years? First of all, it told me don't wear a mask when COVID was around. Then it told me to wear a mask. Then it told me to wear two masks. Then I think I was told to wear three. When it first started, it says, man, you need to use a sanitizer cloth to wipe all the solid surfaces down because that virus lives on solid surfaces. And then I found out, no, it doesn't live on solid surfaces. Then they said, it comes through the air. So you know what? If you want to be safe, you need to stay six feet away from everybody. And then I found out, six feet ain't far enough. <laughs> Science couldn't tell me where the COVID virus even came from, and yet science wants to tell me that I came from an amoeba six billion years ago. Give me a break. Give me a stinking break, man. Science is not going to be my source of authority. What they say that can be observed, I'll agree with it and say A squared plus B squared equals C squared, okay. But telling me that I came from an amoeba when you can't even tell me right now where the COVID virus came from, I think I'll stick to this as my source of authority. This is a powerful weapon. 
Jesus used it. You use it. And then finally, the last weapon I'm going to share with you is prayer. And prayer is a powerful weapon. Why is it so powerful? Because we pray to an almighty God, an all-powerful God. I had a friend one time. This was back in my 20s. Remember when the Soviet Union fell? Those of you who are my age. And, uh, and the Berlin Wall came down. I still remember. It was so powerful to me. He came to me and said, Steve, I've been praying for the Soviet Union for years. Do you think this could be the answer to my prayers? I said, yes. Absolutely, yes. I believe God answered that man's prayers and millions of others. Sometimes we see things happening on TV. We see the, we see the corruption and we see the sin and we see the stuff that's happening and we're like, what can we do? What can we do? I can't do anything. Yes, you can. You can pray. Because you're praying to an almighty God, that makes a difference. Hear me. Get on your knees and pray. God hears and answers prayer. And if the church will rise up and pray, I believe God will change this country. But we've got to pray. You know, we see this warfare. Prayer is warfare. And we see this in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus prayed. Listen to what he prayed. He said, he told us, pray this, thy kingdom come. That sounds like the kingdom of heaven taking over the kingdom of earth, don't it? Sound like a battle. We're praying for the kingdom of heaven. Come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is a powerful weapon, but we have to use it. And finally, the fifth thing that you need to remember and that you need to understand is you need to know the outcome and persevere. Can I tell you what the end of the book says? God wins. That's right. We win with him. We win. We don't fight from a position of maybe. We fight from a position of victory. We know the outcome of this battle. The only question is, when we come up before heaven, before the judge, before the commander, will we be rewarded for our fights, for our heroism in the battle? Or will we be ashamed because we're too busy eating a fried drumstick? Which will it be? See, we know the outcome so we can persevere. We, can, we know the outcome so we keep going because even when it looks like defeat, we know it's not defeat. We know Jesus wins. We know one day those clouds are going to part. Jesus is going to come here to this earth and he's going to take over. He's going to mess up everybody's daytimer and he is going to take over. And so we never give up. We persevere because we know he wins. I don't know what will happen in this country. I don't know. Every country before us has either become nothing or become insignificant. Maybe that's where we're headed. I just don't know. Maybe this country will fall all the others into the ash heap of history. I love this country. I hope that isn't the case. But I do know this. If this country is destroyed, or if it becomes insignificant, it'll be the fault of the church because we had the truth. We had the weapons. And the church decided not to go into battle. What can you do? Well, first of all, know your commander and follow him. 
Know who your true enemy is and resist him firm in the faith. Know the mission and stay focused on the mission that Jesus Christ has given us. Know your weapons and use them. You know, right now, today, you can use the weapon of love. You can begin to love your neighbor today, can't you? Today, you can say, I believe God and I'll obey him. Today, you could share the gospel, the very power of God with somebody. You could do that today. You could enter the battle today. Maybe you have friends or family coming over for 4th of July. You could share the gospel with them. You can use the word to defeat the lies of the enemy of Satan and the lies of this world. And you know what? You could pray. You could pray right now. You could pray today. God longs for you to do that. Look, my encouragement to you is this, to fight the good fight, to get into the battle. Now, I do want to say something to those of you who, who you don't know your commander. I do want to say something to you about this. There's nothing sweeter. There's nothing better than knowing Jesus Christ. Nothing. And if right now you're one round in this world, kind of lost, without hope, without purpose, and you want to know him, you want to have hope, you want to have a reason for drawing your next breath, really, well, you can give your life to Jesus Christ and you can join the most important battle this world has ever known. You just simply have to turn from your sins and turn to Jesus Christ. Surrender your will to him to give your life to him. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, if that's you, right now, you say, I, I don't know. Even if I were to die, I don't know if I'd go to heaven. I don't know Jesus. I just know about him. I don't have a relationship with him, but I want to know him. Then we simply need to share with God the desire of your heart. I'll lead you in a prayer. You just pray it after me. But hear me. These are not magic words. Pray them from your heart to God. Heavenly Father, I admit that I am a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that he rose again the third day. And at this very moment, I turn away from all my sins. And I turn completely to Jesus Christ and my desires to follow him all the days of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now look at me. If you prayed that prayer, let me tell you.